Bible, in the New Testament, are those passages in which Jesus himself, okay, he's involved in some huge miracle, like Lazarus coming forth, for example, or some amazing teaching regarding the significance of really important parables. And he just, he just back up, and he says, back up, everybody, I just got to stop and thank you, Father. I just have to stop and thank you, Father. And it's usually because God, in His grace, has revealed some great power, some great teaching, some great truth. And Jesus just, He's overcome with a sense of gratitude. And we're on those four things that matter most. And today, we're going to be talking specifically about thank you. And that's what I get to talk about. The power of thank you. So that's your assignment today. Uh, at the top of your sheet, I want you to write this to someone in this room. Draw, use colors, use your imagination, make a big cartoon, do whatever you want. On the top of the page, please. And it can be Jesus. Jesus is here in the room. He counts. You can say, I just want to stop and thank you, Jesus. Those are awesome moments in our lives. You can say, I want to stop and thank you, Father. Son and Holy Spirit, you are awesome and wonderful. You can say to your wife, I just want to stop and thank you, baby. <laughs> okay, how sweet it is to be loved by you. You might remember that, it, that we had this, this sermon. I thought it was like the best sermon of my 40 years of preaching. That's what I thought. A couple, a couple weeks ago, when we talked about this chesed. Eric said it was in my top 10 sermons. So... <laughs> I thought it was like the most important message. How God wants us to simply love being loved. Love being loved by Him. I just want to stop and thank you for loving me. And, uh, okay, so, you know, there's things, a lot of things that aren't important. We spend so much energy things worrying about things that really don't matter at all. Early this morning, I was alerted by Facebook that uh, our Facebook page, which is called Communitas, strangely, I mean our Facebook page, had over the weekend one new view. I, I was thrilled by that. And I, and I know that when, when I come to die, that is when my loved ones gather around, I'm fixing to enter in to the realm of the forever and the presence of God forever. That's one of those main things that's going to be on my mind. I remember that first Sunday morning, April 2nd, 2017, and Facebook revealed to me that we had one new view of our Facebook page. That's awesome. So I'm just kidding. I'm being ironic, okay? I'm being sarcastic. I'm only joking. There's so many things that we worry about regarding our image or whatever. How many Twitter followers? I still have 12, I believe. How many, <laughs> how many people like our, our, our selfie? I want to get lots of likes. So I gotta, I gotta, I gotta make myself look cool. And when anybody ever takes a picture of me, that's the one thing I demand of them. Make me look cool. <laughs> you must make me look cool. You say that's impossible. Yes. That's right. It is impossible. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not shy about issuing impossible assignments. 
So many things that we concern ourselves about. Oh, what's for dinner? Whatever. How am I going to whatever? This and that. So much energy goes into to these things. Uh, but not everything matters equally in this world. Not even a, a definitive statement about what matters most matters. <laughs> to be honest with you. I did some interesting you know, research on this. It turns out that among all the things that people have opinions about, things that matter most is one of those things. So I was looking for cool little you know, Pinterest-ish sort of <laughs> photographs or sayings, whatnot, cliches, little poems or sayings or something that would you know, talk about the importance of certain things rising above others. In the, in the matter of importance. And my favorite one was, and that was just this morning, uh, what matters most are pictures and stuff and poems and opinions that you find on the internet about what people think matter most. <laughs> and that, of course, also was sarcasm, but that's why I enjoyed it so much. You know? <laughs> what really matters is all these opinions that are out there in the world about what matters most. Now, this particular set that we're looking at, and we took two of them, last week and today is about thank you, that is actually drawn from a field of study known as palliative care. This is where doctors and nurses and chaplains and other people engage people who really have come to die. And over what's a, a tantamount really to a generation, it's not that old, a generation and a half perhaps, since hospice, hospice and palliative care was a thing, Chaplains and doctors working with dying patients have found that there are certain things that dying people consider as being more important than everything else. These are the things that they need to say, stuff that needs to be said to their loved ones, things that are on their mind, on their heart, that cause them uh, maybe concern, and uh, things that they want to resolve. Okay, So, uh, you know... I'm not stressing the morbidity of, of these situations and so forth, although I, I, do, uh, I do think that it's not that bad of a, an idea for you to have an imaginative moment in which you see yourself there when you come to die and who's gathered there and consider whether or not the things that need to be said have been said. That can't really hurt because the time to start saying those things, of course, is today. So the four things that matter most is the substance of our message. We start with, and, and last week we covered this, please forgive me. Then we had, I forgive you. Those are two of those most important things that, that need to be said to resolve ongoing issues, okay, with folks. Uh, so, getting back to your assignment, because I see there's kids and they're very studious and they're beginning to do their work and they don't even have their assignment. So I want to clarify that a little bit. So I just want to stop and thank you, whoever, for something. Just say thank you to somebody in this room for something. Yes, there's a strange chord. This is Mike Gary. A strange chord is up here, and I'm, I'm tripping on it. Thank you, Mike. Sorry, I won't, I won't knock over your beautiful guitar. <laughs> I forgive you. And then thank you, okay? Those really, and then I love you, and Mike will... Uh, Take that one up next week. That should be awesome. These are all things that need to be said. You need to say those things. But today, we're just focusing on just these two words. And you're expressing these two words to someone that's important in your life, somebody here in the room. I'm going to encourage you to say thank you. We will collect these things at the end. So, And then I'm going to...
<laughs> I'm serious. I am going to collect your work at the end. And then we're going to find out some really cool way to deliver your message to the person to whom you are writing. We're going to, we're going to be involved in that. We're going to assist you in that process. So we want to celebrate the work that you do and the relationship that you have just deepened in that note that you just wrote. So this is the kind of class, lots of times in class, teachers say, don't write notes. Today, this is the kind of class where teacher says, write a note and say thank you. So here's something that, wisdom from really the ages. Here's a guy named Elie Wiesel. And he is a guy, he is a guy, who survived the death camps, okay? I think he survived Auschwitz. And he wrote a book, an incredible book, called Night. Just one word. The book is Night. I really recommend it. It's all about his experience as a Jewish boy in the death camp, all the things that he observed, his relationship with God, how he cried out to God, how he wrestled with the, the presence and the power of evil in his life and in the world. And here's what he noticed even back then. There are certain people that just can't say thank you for anything. They don't, it doesn't enter into their world. Because, and who would know this better than somebody like Eli Fiesel? Some people are victims. And as victims, I mean, this is their own story, as victims of all kinds of awful stuff or what have you, they are, of course, entitled to special consideration in every circumstance. And so to deeply stop for a moment and take cognizance or allow themselves to become aware of some benefit that is bestowed upon them, okay, a benefit, a good thing that has been given to them, that they can name, it, it doesn't happen naturally, again, because they are lost in this narrative, the circular narrative that revolves back upon themselves, in which they are victims and therefore entitled to everything that they may, may possess and, and experience. But Eli Wiesel is right to say when a person doesn't have gratitude, something is missing in his or her humanity. There's something so liberating about being able to say thank you, to have gratitude as a, as a deep and abiding characteristic of one's personality. Again, just this morning, I read a review in the Pioneer Press of a show that happened last night at the Excel Center, and it was uh, Green Day. And the lead singer in Green Day is 45 years old. And the thing that got me to read the article was it's cleverly... Um, title in which there was some reference to Green Day not growing old gracefully. And I need to learn everything I can about growing old gracefully or graciously, okay? So I want to learn, well, what is he saying, that these guys are just still jerks or, or that they are gracious and growing older or that it's changed them, that they've learned or what have you? Well, it turns out that the lead singer for Green Day, and I, to be honest with you, I can't think of one song band, for those of you who don't know it, and they have a three-member band, what have you. And now they're like in their 40s and upper 40s. They're pushing 50s, if you can believe it. This is, this is like they're, they're pretty soon to sign up for uh, special benefits. They'll be eligible to join ARP. But the guy, 
was, was interviewed, the, the lead singer guy, okay, who's the star of the show, and he's, he's been through recovery. And just a few years ago, he came out of recovery, and the dude is sober, and he says he has more energy right now, and he's so filled with gratitude, uh, the privilege that he has just to go out on stage every night and, in a sense, serve the, the, his audience and provide for them a stimulating, I, I understand it. A lot of the stuff that's going to be served out by Green Day is not stuff that I'm endorsing at all. But I, it did lead me to take a look, and there was some video of that performance last night, and it was incredible. I didn't hear a word. I couldn't understand a word. I don't know what the content of it was. I'm speaking of the energy of that dude on the stage. It was unbelievable, 45-year-old man. And he was Peter Pan. He, he was Peter Pan, man. He, yeah, just, he's just dancing and running on the stage, gesticulating, having so much fun. And according to his own words, the thing that generates the energy in his life that allows him to do the stuff that he does with energy and effectiveness is this overwhelming and deep sense of gratitude that drives him. It frees him from all these considerations of lesser things and whatnot. So that even if he's 45, it doesn't matter. He's just free to be Peter Pan or whatever, just to take up that role and play it. You know, there's another thing kind of similar to this just last night uh, in the uh, Final Four and the commentary surrounding Gonzaga, the number one nation, or excuse me, team in the nation. Um, they played last night and so forth. And my favorite commentator, Charles Barkley, who says controversial things and, and so on, but still, he's fun to listen to, was, was seeing what he observed. When he saw Gonzaga playing in person, he saw something about them. And he saw that they had been liberated. It carried this onus on their, of not ever having made, made the Final Four, and they've been in the tournament. They've been in the Sweet 16. They've been in the Elite Eight. And it's been going on for year after year after year, but for some reason they could not get into the Final Four at the last minute, somebody had come along and, and beat him right there on the way in the door. But now the burden is gone. The burden is gone. They're in the final four. And as, as Charles said, they're playing with incredible just freedom. It's not, it's not like they have to do or have to win or have to this or anything. They're just having fun. They're passing the ball. They're shooting well. They're running up and down the floor. They're into the game like they haven't been in, in these tournaments in years past, and it's because they're free. They're free from the burden. And adopting an attitude of gratitude is something that will free your life up and allow you to be more deeply who God made you to be. It will thicken, as it were, your humanity, and, and it will cause your relationships, even your own life, to be transformed. So you need to nurture in your children, nurture in your kids, nurture in your own self this quickness and this ability to say thank you. And this all starts with God. So I'm now referring to this Meister Eckhart, and he's a guy that lived from 1260 to 1320. He was a German theologian, something of a mystic. He's, he's a, a, a guy that, uh, uh, like me, <laughs> excuse me, put great store on the experience of God in the soul. 
the, the divine encounter and how, that, how transformative that is and how important that is. To experience the presence of God. And so here's what Meister Eckhart said back around 1300. If the only prayer you ever say in your whole life, and I, I believe this, I, I fully and completely subscribe to this. I think he's absolutely correct to say that if the only prayer you say in your whole life is, thank you, that would suffice. If you get in some kind of a space where you're able to say, like Jesus, I just want to stop and thank you, Father. I just want to stop and thank you, Jesus. Now, the reason I believe this so deeply and profoundly, and I think Meister Eckhart is onto a deep, fundamental, spiritual truth, is because this is my, my own experience. Confused, uh, whatever, with philosophy, all different kinds of behavioral issues and experiences, etc. As a 27-year-old young man, I just sat down on the ground and yes, I was under the conviction, I suppose, of the Holy Spirit and somehow, you know, under the teaching of the Word of God and I was tilting toward God and I didn't know what to say or how to pray. In essence, what I said is thank you. You may well ask, thank you for what? <laughs> I said thank you to Jesus, okay, and it changed my life. I've told you my story, how... I felt the presence of Jesus in the depth of my spirit and from the inside out. I was healed and liberated, okay, liberated in a powerful way to live life in a whole different kind of a way with the foundation upon which I knew that I knew that I knew that God was real, that Jesus loved me, and that he was there and that he was for me. I could never have articulated anything like a a theology of the cross or a doctrine of the atonement or election or who knows what. I just knew that when I said thank you, Jesus, that he was there and he touched my life in a powerful way and everything changed. So I am in complete agreement with Meister. And I ask you, have you ever had that kind of an experience? Where you felt yourself, felt it kind of necessary given the, you know, the circumstances of your life to just stop for a moment and say thank you. So I want to get this founded in, in some teaching of the Word of God. So let's go to the two sort of relational dimensions in which we live. And the first one is to God. And I'll just give you a couple of verses. The Psalms are full of, full of this. Look at a concordance and look at instances of the word thank you. And you will find passages like this. People historically in, among the people of God, Jews and Christians alike, down through the centuries, have benefited, benefited greatly and found it hugely important and been taught to say thank you to God. We'll just look at that first uh, truncated quotation from Psalm 50 and verse 14. Sacrifice thank offerings to God, which puts us in mind, because I just recently read through the book of Leviticus, there's a whole category of ways to approach God in the tabernacle and in the temple that were absolutely ordained as a part of the liturgy for the people of God on occasions in which they would have freely felt themselves to have been blessed. When God had provided for them some benefit beyond the ordinary, maybe, who knows what, uh, a healing, in a, uh, you know, a, a, a birthday, 
uh, a good crop, whatever might have been read by someone in an agricultural society back in the day as being a blessing that I just received from God. There was a way to go into God's house. And all, this, all those rules are there in terms of who you should approach, what you should bring for an offering, how that offering is to be handled and by whom. Uh, if it's cooked up on the barbecue, who gets invited to the barbecue? Who gets to join in? If it's an animal of some sort in which the, the, uh, the meat is going to be shared with the priests, the Levites, with the family, with the folks, all that kind of stuff, depending on uh, the kind of offering that's given. All those rules are there. There is an institution of thanksgiving, okay, that's given to the people of God. That's how important this is. It's something that is assumed that people are going to want to be doing on a regular basis. There's another one from Psalm 136, and you guys all know many, many more. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His chesed, steadfast love, endures forever. So we should be saying thank you to God from our hearts. And if, by the way, if you happen to be in that classification of individuals who has a hard time saying thank you, you're kind of reviewing your spiritual life, your relationship with God, the way that you talk to God. And you're not finding a lot of this material as being characteristic of who you are and how you live in your relationship with God. You're not really one to say thanks that much. Please, God should be the person you write that note to. I mean, it's the only way out of that downward spiral of self-centeredness in which you see yourself as a victim and you can't say thank you. And even when you hear stories about me saying, okay, there's going to be stuff to say thank you about, you say, well, what, what, do you, what, what is there to thank? I have a hard time thinking of things to thank God for. What did you think, God? It may have occurred to you. <laughs> I tell the story of him sitting on that mud floor in that geodesic dome, man, back in 1973. What was I thanking him for? I didn't know him. And the answer to that is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know exactly what I was thanking him for. I think, if I were to attempt to put it in words, it would be something like this. Because, again, I didn't have the doctrinal machinery that is at my disposal today as a result of my having been, you know, indoctrinated uh, in seminary and all those kinds of things. So I'm thinking what I was saying thank you for was his existence. I was saying thank you that you're there. I was at the same time simultaneously saying thank you for my own existence, that I am, that I am here. And to some extent, I suppose I was saying thank you for the degree to which I felt like I was the object of his concern. Somehow, I mattered to him. That I was beginning to feel his presence and his love. In this little hippie turned Christian community. And it was deep and it was powerful and it was real. So I just said thank you. And that changed everything for me. And then we say thank you to one another. And this is also within the tradition. And that's why your assignment today, and I hope you're all doing it again, 
You will be graded, and I will notice. I know who's here. We're going to take a picture. You're on video. I'm looking for names of people who are non-compliant when it comes to doing their assignments. And you will be visited by a deacon. <laughs> a committee of, of the deacons. And uh, the only way you will be able to get relief is through a gift of money. <laughs> oh, thank you. Now we're back. <laughs> okay, I'm just kidding, of course. I'd love it, though, if you could find it within yourself to say thank you. In fact, while I'm on the subject, let me take a moment. It just occurs to me. Oh, we're changing everything again. It's okay, just relax. <laughs> please, please. This is right at the heart of everything here. I want to say thank you. Uh, to communitas, to the body of Christ, to you folk, um, as an expression of the body of Christ. So we're all dealing, some of us in celebration, some of us with a certain, I don't know, sadness. I just don't want to... My impending... Uh, departure or retirement. Uh, so I don't want to get out the door without saying thank you because I have served here now for 21, going on 22 years. And it has been really at your will and at your pleasure that I have served and it has been my great pleasure. So I thank you for putting up with all my rabbit trails and crazy stuff and I, I just want to stop I don't do arts and crafts, but I'm going to say it out loud. I want to say thank you to Communitas for the grace that you have shown me. And it's okay to say thank you to one another, okay? And so we're going to get deeper into this a little bit as far as what, what it is that's involved in saying thank you and why it is so central and important to our nurture as, uh, as believers. So we say thank you to one another. Here's a passage. And I had to look quite a bit to find one because most of Paul's thanks are for believers, thanking God for people, for churches. I thank God for you. But here, here is a direct thank you to others within the community of faith and especially as co-workers. I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sincrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor. She has done good. She has done me good. There's a great tradition there in doing one another good, benefiting one another, bestowing upon one another goodness. Uh, however it may be expressed. And we take this as an example, uh, we take, take our example of Jesus, who said, uh, of whom I wanted to say, in addition to saying, I just want to stop and thank you, Jesus, I also want to say, Jesus ain't never done nothing but good. He has been a benefactor in my life. And I, I, want, to, I want to thank him for that. Phoebe had been a benef benefactor of many people, including me, says Paul. 
And then he says, greet Priscilla and Aquila. So there's a few co-workers on this list. My co-workers in Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. That's Acts 16, 1 through 4. I want to I want to kind of hurry, and I'm, I'm going to touch on this a little bit. There's a Jewish thinker by the name of Martin Buber, a kind of theologian philosopher around the early part of the 20th century. He spent his life studying intimacy, relationships. And he boiled everything that he knew into this I-thou formula. There are I-it relationships, and there are I-thou relationships, according to Buber, and I think he's absolutely right. And then he points to something, okay, that I think is really super important, and that is the development of the soul. We're born as humans with a hunger for the thou. That is, we want to be seen and known and understood and heard. We want to be deep, deeply embedded in a, a secure set of relationships. And so I rejoice when I see moms and dads uh, when they're connected on that deep level with those with those babies. And you can just see the baby just coming alive. You can almost imagine just that brainstem just going wild, okay? Because they've found the security in that connection. And it's not just a, okay, you're there to serve my needs kind of connection, okay? And there are, sadly, I-it relationships that are uh, exist between parents and children, if you can imagine it. But you will serve my needs as such a parent. <laughs> You're here for me. Oh, no. And, and that is not what satisfies the deep longing of the child, the baby that comes into the world. That's why this, this, this thing about, like, what do you call that bonding that happens? And I'm just a little baby, and I'm in my mother's arms, and she's just looking at me, and, and, and I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that she is completely in love with me. <laughs> Whatever anybody else may think in the wide world, my mama loves me. And I'm just thriving and growing, and, and my daddy too, in, in their arms. And I'm developing quickly and surprisingly quickly in an emotional, even in a physical, intellectual way because I'm in that kind of a relationship which is so healthy it lends itself to a healthy development. But not every connection... Uh, in terms of parents and children are like that, but I do believe that Buber is onto something when he writes the development of the soul in the child is inextricably bound up with that of the longing for thou. Children, when they're born in the world, need that kind of connection. All through life, the self is emerging out of some kind of a dialogue. It's either a cold, stifling one or a rich, complete one. And a lot of the dysfunctional pathologies that we see in terms of relationships within our society and in the world today and uh, um, problems in development and so forth and problems with attachment and connection with others and all of these kinds of things can in fact be traced to this hunger for the thou that was never actually satisfied. So it relationships come in two, uh, two varieties. Some are utilitarian, okay? So you don't expect to have an in-depth re uh, relationship with your barber. Now, I have to say, my barber does have that expectation of me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have a different barber all the time. I just go to great clips, and, you know, they make small talk and whatnot. But you go in there for a task. You're on a task. You're, you want to get a haircut. And, uh, and the person is a hair cutter, and therefore there is a transactional quality to the relationship and so forth. 
And that's understandable and that's okay. But there are other, as I've just mentioned, I-it relationships that are just shortened, truncated versions of what should be deep relationships. That's when the, the connection just, it's not there. It's like you as a husband, let's say, have a tendency to treat your wife as an extension of yourself and she's there to serve your needs or whatever. I'm not that that would ever happen in a Christian household. That would never, ever happen. You're there to serve me, okay? Or, likewise, it could be the case that a, a wife may view her husband in the same kind of way. You're here to serve me and whatnot. And so everything is transactional. Nothing is deep. There's no uh, have, have, you know, sharing of the soul. And again, we never grow out of this need. Why is that so hard for us to understand? We never grow out of the need. I don't care who you are. You're a hardened fellow and so forth. And I understand that, yeah, you don't need anybody or need anything. You've made your own way. You're a self-made man. That's just baloney. You're, you're, you're just hiding behind a stinking wall that you've created to give you some sense of security because you didn't really get it where you needed it. And you're not yet in a place where you can offer that kind of security to someone else and see them as a true, full human partner in life. Talk about husbands and wives, wives and husbands, parents and children. Lord have mercy. When my children were born into my house, and as, <laughs> we did our best to love on them just as they were, but I was so concerned as a young pastor who came into the world uh, in an untimely way, that is the world of pastoring, uh, having gotten saved at age 27 and so forth and being called into the ministry, but really not, uh, you know, f- I wasn't Swedish. Uh, <laughs> there, there wasn't any, you know, family of churches to which I had belonged, you know, wild Pentecostal people and so forth. Um, but I was no longer so wild and no longer so Pentecostal, although I was, I've was i always been really kind of Pentecostal. <laughs> all that I ever learned, like that one dude wrote a book uh, that mattered, I learned in kindergarten, and all that ever mattered, I learned in my Pentecostal church where I got saved. I'll say that, and that's true. But my kids, yeah. Oh, man, I felt it was absolutely essential that I present myself to this little deacon committee in this little country church down there in rural Iowa as being absolutely the perfect father. And that we had a perfect family was a a very important uh, part of the narrative that, that I needed to have uh, made known about myself. (laughs) Well, Needless to say, uh, I have much to be forgiven for. So last week's message, please forgive me. I mean, that's something that we we continue to go through. And so, since Jennifer, I see her standing against the wall. Would you please forgive me for my? Really, it was about me. It was about me. Where's Caleb? You forgive me, won't you, son? He might. <laughs> we'll continue to work on this. I know that when I come to die, believe me, that's a, that's a big part of the story. So I'm I'm not I'm not like 
putting people down or any of that. In fact, I want to encourage young ministers and young people in the church who are servants of the gospel and of the, the, the mission of God to care for your family and not for the benefit that they might do to your career, how that might look on your resume, but because that is a deeper calling. And they need you to be present in their lives. So, a thou relationship exists, and this is according to Buber again, then we'll move on from this Buberishness. A thou relationship exists when two or more people are totally immersed in their situation, when deep calls to deep, when they are offering up themselves and embracing the other in some total unselfconscious way. That's that deeper level of relationship, okay. So just one example, a doctor has an eye it. You know, you go to the medical doctor and, and you can tell immediately that, okay, you're, you are a set of symptoms. And you are like a machine, you're in need of repair, and so here's what you do under this protocol, etc. Here's what I do. This is my response. And so you get like 10 minutes in the presence of the medical one. And there's a, usually a dispensation of some sort of medicine from the medical one. And then you are dismissed. Please stop at the desk and take care of that financial <laughs> arrangement. <laughs> but out of a, uh, an article that was sent, uh, made public by a, a guy who went through the, a hospice program with his, with his wife, and he, he's writing to the doctor that cared for the family, cared for the, his wife, and so forth. And, and, and this is an I-thou relationship. And this is, this is a different kind of thing. It's not transactional. It's deep. It's real. How many times did you hug me and console me when I fell to pieces or ask about Laura's life? Can you imagine a doctor asking for information about the life of, of a patient and the person that she used to be taking the time to look at her photos or read the things that I'd written about her? How many times did you deliver bad news with compassionate words and sadness in your eyes? Now, there is a doctor that knows how to relate to others in an I-thou kind of relationship. So in summary, saying thank you. It tilts us toward intimacy. We are born with a hunger for relationship because we're created by a relational God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And part of his program is to send us into the world and teaching us to build intimate relationships with others as a part of... Um, mirroring the image of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are encouraged to move in the direction of deeper relationships one, one, uh, one toward another. It helps us experience more satisfaction in our lives and in our relationships. Just saying thank you, I'm saying, does this. It really transforms us. It transforms our relationships with each other and with God. If we can just say, I want to stop and thank you, baby, how sweet it is to be loved by you. Thank you, Jesus, how wonderful it has been, how good you have been to me, oh God. Now, the Eucharist, we have the table set before us. Eucharist is the name that's given. So I'll ask our uh, ministers of the table to please come forward and prepare to serve these elements.
Eucharist is a word that is used in mainstream liturgical communities to describe what we often call communion, the Lord's Supper. It has a number of names. More churches around the world today that are serving the Lord's Supper, sharing communion, will refer to this experience under the name Eucharist than under any other name. Eucharist. Do you know what it means? Do you know what that word actually means? It's a Greek word. Anybody know? What does that word mean? Ha, ah, I'm smarter than y'all. I'm just kidding. I'm just <laughs> not smarter. I just happen to know this. Eucharist means thank you. It means thanksgiving. So that's what we're going to do. You had your arts and crafts. I hope you're getting that all ready because it's almost time to uh, turn them in. We'll do that with the offering. And can I just say thank you to everybody who's been in compliance and you've written down something. And I'm, I'm going to give you another opportunity in just a moment. You guys can sit down. Can you just, I, I'm going to stretch this out for a second. You can sit down. One, one second, because I, I want to give people another chance to interact before we serve these, these elements. I'm sorry. Here in the Eucharist, what's going on is, is we acknowledge the other, the thou, that is God, Jesus, okay, and we acknowledge the gift. That's what's going on when we say thank you. And that's why thank you is so uh, beneficial to the soul. And here's Ira Bayak. He's the palliative care physician who wrote the book that inspired this series, The Four Things That Matter Most, by naming what we've been given. Now here today, we're, we're, we're going to be given bread and juice. We know that these are indicative of the body of Christ, which was broken for us, and the blood which he shed for us. We know that. By naming what we've been given, we remind ourselves of the surfeit, that means abundance of our experiences, of how replete we are, how many blessings that we've received. We invest attention in what we have rather than what we lack. In most cases, we realize that we have what we need. Now, that's Ira. We begin to recognize how much we've been given. So I did want to take here. It's 11.02. Let's take three minutes. What have we been given? I want you to think on that for a second. I know you've already written down thank you, and you're going to submit your completed assignment in a moment. But for those of you who are willing to acknowledge some thing, some benefit that you have been given, I don't know, does that make sense? Just, just stand up and say something that you've been given, something that you want to say thank you for today. Please, Lord, God bless you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Makes you dance. <laughs> Go ahead, man. Okay, uh, all my children and grandchildren. Amen. Yes, Sue. Are you a communist? Ha <laughs> <laughs>
just kidding. You said comrades. I'm thinking, well, okay. I suppose after this, you're going with the, with the Reds. <laughs> just, no, that's a lovely word. That's a lovely word, comrades. Right on. Amen. I'm grateful for growing up with a Christian heritage and a Christ-centered heritage. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yes, Mike. I think I'm thankful I'm walking, and I thank the Lord, and I'm so happy to be back here. Love. Praise the Lord. Did you say you're in love? Well, oh, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm thankful for you, Mike. I'm thankful that you're feeling better. And I'm thankful that you don't even have your walker with you today. Or do you? No, I don't. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, Mike. Anyone else? The sermon. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for thanking me for my sermon, bro. God bless you. Okay, so. Thankful for all of you. Right on, Mike. And we're thankful for you, Mike. And for Megan, too. <laughs> Okay, let's do this uh, communion.